Welcome to the Postpartum Wow, the show where moms share their raw, unfiltered postpartum moments. I'm your host, Sarah Allen, and I'm a first-time mom who was completely broadsided by postpartum depression and anxiety. I'm here to show the not-so-pretty side of becoming a parent, and I hope you hear something that resonates with you because, let's be honest, the postpartum experience is nothing like we imagined. But along with the struggles come glimpses of hope. So buckle up and hold on tight, and let's get to it. Hello, hello again, friends. Welcome back. Uh, Glad you could join us. This is another Dad's Corner episode. I have with me Neil, who is Sherry's, I said the better half after the last episode, (laughs) so I'll let you be the judge of that. But uh, Neil's with us today to tell us his, his view of postpartum as a dad. And I'm just going to give him the floor to introduce himself. Right. Uh, what would be the best way? Um, your best friend's husband, um, Neil Kushney, uh, originally from Scotland. It's probably easiest to start from where Sherry and I met, which was in 2016. Um, very quickly realized that we because we're from opposite sides of the Atlantic, that the only way we were going to be able to be together is if we got married. But we had the difficult conversations quite early on about um, being married, having children, and how we'd raise them. Because some of the reactions that we got when we said we were getting married is that Sherry's Christian and I'm not. Like... (sighs) Could you argue I've become more spiritual over the years? Probably. But I don't identify with a religion as such. And some of Sherry's family were not horrified, but certainly surprised. So that meant that we had to have important conversations that I think some people might avoid quite early on. Um, and the other thing is, is that because the majority of the, oh, let's see, the first, the, at least the first year of the relationship was almost entirely Skype or uh, Facebook Messenger based. And, it you know, you have to find things to talk about. So you end up having important conversations very early on, which is, you know, as I'll, there's a lot of couples, at least in my experience, certainly both in Scotland and in the US, is that a lot of couples kind of avoid that until, you know, probably where they, way, way, way where they should have passed, where they should have discussed it. But, um, it meant that we were very much on the uh, same wavelength from the beginning. So, um, so when you, uh, so when you and Sherry met, you you said you had those very important discussions up front. So, did you discuss like what what your expectations of parenthood would be like with one another, or did you have any expectations prior to that? That's kind of a tough one to answer. I'd always wanted to be a parent. Uh, the last. I'd I'd be I'm one of these fellas that I'd I'd had a few very serious relationships in my lifetime and had a couple of times where I thought is is this girl the one maybe I I'm not sure and then I met Sherry and I was like it wasn't like I think she's the one as I know she's the one which is kind of a very very strange feeling and it kind of sounds really trite trying to explain it yeah I, and people have explained it to me that as well but i experienced the same thing it's like with it's other people odd, it was kind of like yeah it was yeah. kind of like yeah maybe but then you know i met my husband and it's like nope uh, that's it yeah you just knew yeah 
It's and it sounds so it sounds so daft as well when you're trying to explain it to especially younger people. It's like, oh, you'll just know, and they look at you like you've you know you're crazy taking drugs or something. And and the irony is is that you remember somebody saying that to you when you were younger, and then you go through it, and it totally makes sense. And so let's see, that was. We've only just gotten onto proper sleep schedules for both the boys in the last little while. It's the youngest one, Eli, in particular, because he had teeth coming through just recently. So you end up kind of days blur one into the other. And um, oh yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. But, oh, you're uh, good. but, uh, but, but you knew you always yeah. wanted to be a parent. Oh, yes, 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 absolutely. Um, it's kind of like... Uh, uh, Sherry and I did couples counselling not long after we got married. Like I know for most people they would do it beforehand, but it just the way it worked out. Your circumstances, that, yeah. yes. Um, highly recommended, by the way, couples counselling. If anyone who's listening is even remotely interested in doing it, you should do it because um, it will give you tools on how to negotiate with one another. It absolutely will, and it made it made a huge difference for us because. You know, like the whole joke about men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Venus. Like, like that's certainly, it might not be quite that bad, but it's certainly not. It's not far close. off. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that made that made that made a huge difference. So, like, I'm trying to remember exactly. So we met in 2016. She traveled over to the UK end of 2016 and again the start of 2017, which is a story. Both of those trips are a story all by themselves. And then I proposed in 2017, let's see, then we went through the visa process, which is another, that I could do a whole podcast just on that. That's what I told Sherry. Yeah, I was like, you guys, if you were ever going to do a podcast, it would be uh, on the process that, of yeah, visa. <laughs> yeah, because like, it's very scary, especially for the person who's not an American citizen. Got through that, got the approval. You travel to the U.S., and then you have a very, 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 very short period of time where you have to get married, and thankfully that all that all went well. And then we had these this wonderful period where the both of us were married, and we left together, and it was just it was just bliss punctuated by a really, really good fight every so often. And we'd agreed that it would be a couple of years, and then we'd start having or trying to have children, and. It just one thing flowed very naturally from uh, one place to the other, and uh, so the, so Sherry, the you guys th- explained that um, you tried for a few months before mm. you got in the positive pregnancy test. Yes. So she approaches you, she tells you, "Hey, guess what? We're having a kid." Yeah, this uh, was yeah. Uh, get your beer open there first. Yeah. Why don't we? <laughs> what you drinking there? Uh, this is uh, Crabby's. It's an alcoholic ginger beer that's made in Scotland. Oh, really? So. Um, it's not, it's a very much an acquired taste. There's a few people here have tried it and they're like, oh God, it's horrible. I'll have to see if my husband likes because he is a ginger beer fan. So he may, he may enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, so, so Sherry um, approaches you. She says, hey, guess what? Yeah, we, We're pregnant. By this point, we'd been, you know, you hear horror stories about people taking two years to get pregnant. And I think by the time Sherry conceived, we'd been trying for five months. I think it was five months. And she kind of just sprang it on me that she was she was pregnant she had this uh she'd like she'd like had uh gifts made and she had the pregnancy test and i'm trying to remember exactly what it was that she gave me but it was like a 
trying to remember. She'd remember better than I would, but it was, it was like she she did. She sprang sprang it on me all of a sudden, and there was this positive pregnancy test, and it was like, it was like so many other things in life. You know, like you hear or watch on movies where people have a good moment, and everyone's like, "Woo, yeah, yeah!" Like and all this sort of stuff. And up until that point, unless I'd had something brilliant, it was relief. It was relief that something had ha- had gone well, like whether it was. Like I used to be really heavy into powerlifting, you know, you make a good lift and it was, it's relief, you know, all the work's paid off. But this was one of the first times and then getting married was one of the other times where I could have, I could have literally jumped four feet in the air because I was so happy. And, and yeah, so uh, there was kind of like a a short honeymoon period. Oh yeah, fuck yeah, we're pregnant. You know, can't tell nobody oh blast you know like and you know you you wait the i think we ended up telling we ended up telling parents relatively quickly and there was a reason for that and i can't remember what it is sherry probably remember better than i would but um um i think it was my parents we ended up telling first almost by accident i think (laughs) and anyway so parents found out very quickly i think it was like seven or eight weeks or something they found out and obviously we were like, don't anyone panic. Like this is still very, very, it's very early, you know, and, and we, let's see, start going to the OB. Um, good God, that's that, you know, you start paying a lot of money just to begin with. And, you know, you start paying a couple hundred bucks every time you go. And it's like, you kind of, the cost of it all sort of like, you know, starts to hit you in the face quite, quite quickly. But, um, Sherry had kind of a rough time through the the uh, first trimester as well. Like, very tired, very uh, sick, feeling very feeling very sick, and at least because you know, looking back on it, because it was the first one, if she needed to have a break and go and have a lie down, it was it was no big deal. You know, I could get on with chores or you know, like make lunch or you know, just whatever. If she wanted to go and sleep, it was fine. You know. Um, so that went well. Second trimester came along and she felt a lot better, which apparently is very common. And then the third trimester came along and oh, am I allowed to swear on this, by the way? Yes, you are. Yeah. And it was like, holy shit. Like the third trimester hit, hit her like a freight train. Um, lots of uh, fl- lots of fluid gain, lots of uh, tiredness, lots of joint pain. Like, and it's just that. Uh, which did you expect any of that? Um, yes. Like, did you yeah. do any, like, reading or any yeah, research? Yeah. And, you know, like, it's one of those things where um, I'm of a generation where they kind of spent a bit more time going into what it would actually be like. And at least the sex ed in the UK, I think, might be a bit better than it is here. But That's um, not surprising. <laughs> but um, none of... What, I'm trying to think, what were the only things that were really a surprise? The things that were a major surprise to me were the things like Sherry couldn't take things like ibuprofen. Mm. Like, I, that was that was news to me. Like, you would think that that would be the sort of thing they'd have up in flashing lights. Like, do not do this. Like, do not, like, uh, do not overdo alcohol. Um, I know they tell people nowadays that, well, maybe what a few is okay. And I know they do that to hit the, um, how would you say, the? it's like the 80% rule. They're trying to catch 80% of people other than the 20% of idiots that are going to do it. They're going to do it anyway. So what they used to do was tell people, just don't drink. It's just easy. Don't, exactly. It's mm-hmm. Try not to smoke, you know, and all that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, anyway, the, that was that was one of the major surprises was she wasn't able to do uh, take pain meds. 
And obviously, because Sherry suffers from, uh, which I'm sure she covered, the, the daily persistent headaches. Um, thank God she got some relief from that while she was pregnant. And that's one of those mechanisms that they don't entirely understand. They just know that it does happen, which is by itself is really weird. But um, let's see, other things I didn't expect. The sickness, the sickness massively loosened off after the first trimester. She felt a lot better at the second, and then things got rough again at the third. And then we were trying to think if there was any major problems. Then it was just like waiting waiting for the actual birth itself like the you know the the are they're like the the milestones which were like and it's one of those things like i can't believe i forgot to mention it but like get to hear the baron's heartbeat for the first time mm-hmm. i was like there's another person in there there's another person in there and that's like i'd never like like it you run out of you know, it's everything sounds hyperbolic when you recount the story and you just completely run out of ways to describe it. And magical, it just sounds so lame, you know, mm-hmm. like it doesn't even come close to describing what it feels like, that there's another life inside your wife's, you know, uterus. And it's just like, like even now, like looking back on it is um, like we went through that and survived it you know, survived all of that. And, you know, we had, you know, there were some rough points, which obviously we'll go over in a bit. But, <laughs> yep. um, but yeah, once it, let's see, let's see. Heartbeat, glucose test, which she passed no problem on the first one. Then there was the ultrasound, or was it ultrasound and then glucose test? Anyway, it, like I say, things get muddled, as, especially if you have more than one, but um, have more than one child, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm on the fence, but Neil and Sherry over here yeah, are yeah, trying yeah. to push no, me and my husband. <laughs> absolutely. As, as long as like, as long as I don't, it's like, I, if we go off on a tangent for just a second, like I'm really bad for telling all the young men that I know bloody get married and have children because it'll change your life and it'll change your life for the better. Having said that, it needs to be with the right person in the right conditions. And if someone's not in the right conditions to add another child to their house, don't, don't be daft about it. You know, like we were, we've been incredibly lucky with our two boys because they're both healthy, happy. And like, we've, we had a couple of health scares. Let's see. We had one major one with Riker when he was born, which obviously I'm getting ahead of myself again, but, and then we've had one with Eli as well and how people cope with properly sick children. I will never, I will never know. I don't know how people manage like, how do they get up and go to work? How do they manage to function when their children are long-term ill? I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how people do it. But um, anyway, where, where, where was I? So uh, the, the pregnancy uh, was about uh, what you expected. Yes, yes. Um, we had glucose tests, which you passed, which was fine. And then the ultrasound, which like, <laughs> like describing what an ultrasound is like, is like, it's 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 weird. It's like watching a movie, and yet yeah, there's a part of you back in your brain knows that it's like this is this is real. This is fucking really happening, and um, yeah, that was really something. That was wonderful. You know, so take you, us to, so take us to back to the day of his birth. Oh right. What was what was your view of that like? Oh, God, that was that was about the longest twenty four hours of my entire life. That and you know, like, obviously I, I'm, I have perspective on it now that it could have gone way, 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 way worse than it did. But at the time it was, yeah, that was about the hardest. 
the hardest thing we've ever been, certainly that we'd ever been through as a couple. Like the, the getting the wedding and everything organized was a fucking cakewalk compared to this. Um, she, let's see what uh, was it? It was Monday. Yes, it was a mo- it was Monday the sixth of April. I'd gone off to work in the morning, and typically what happens is I've I have a mobile phone so that if for ever, if for any reason Sherry would be able to get hold of me. Now for one reason or another, I don't know if my phone was on silent somehow or I accidentally turned it off. But we were I was in my car, and then the boys and the boss were in the truck in front of me, and we were driving to our job, and all of a sudden excuse me, the indicators go on on the truck and it pulls over. And I thought someone got a flat tire or something. It was weird. And Trent, my boss jumps out of the truck and he's waving his phone. I thought, oh my God, what, what on earth? And he, I roll my window down. I was, what the hell's the matter? And he goes, you need to call Sherry. You need to call her right now. She's in labor. And so I, I don't know how, what happened to my telephone. But anyway, I, I, uh, he called her on, or had she called him on, his phone. So I spoke to her and like drove back to drove back home. And by this point it was water break had broken. So there was no panic, but we needed to be, need to get a move we, on. Needed, we needed to get to the hospital. And, um, so we got, let's see, we got into, what do they call it? Birth triage. Mm-hmm. And they hooked her up and, you know, we sat for, uh, 20 or 30 minutes and it might even been longer than that but uh with the readouts on the um sorry i keep forgetting that people can't see see me when i'm talking but obviously <laughs> I'm, I'm indicating where sherry's the sensors were mounted on sherry's uh stomach but they listened to the the baby for a little while and then they were like yeah okay things are moving on we need to get you into a room and we need to start uh pitocin uh to move the birth along and yeah, try not try not to take pitocin if you can manage it. Holy shit! I've heard, yeah, I've heard yeah. some horror stories. Yeah, Cher on did that not, stuff. Cher did not have a good time on that. Um, anyway, long story short, that was what was that? By the time we got to the hospital, that was nine o'clock in the morning. Um, by four p.m., she had right. So I'd made a note on my phone, and I hesitate to laugh. She'll kill me for saying this, but I'd made a note in my phone of when the first time that she said, whose bloody idea was this to get pregnant? And it's all your fault. And I made a note of the date and time that she said it. She'll kill me for saying that. Sorry, darling. Um, <laughs> but uh, she she looked at me at 4 p.m. And I will never forget that she looked like, I can't, I'm not sure I can do this. And um, I'd never seen her look so frightened. And so she's... They're, you know, big contractions have been going for hours at this point and she's tired and I'm tired and Stormont Vale's nurses are like an IndyCar pit crew. Absolutely professional. Absolutely professional. And so they got, she was a uh, Sherry, I'm bouncing about, I'm bouncing about, I know. But uh, so 4pm, they'd made her a, uh, a warm bath the rooms have, have baths in them to try and assist with uh labor and she'd had a bath and to see if the heat would help at all and that was when she looked at me and was just like i i don't know if i can do this because she was uh every dose of contractions was giving her a great deal of pain and i think by by this point I'm trying to, this is, this is the other thing is that it's such a, it was such a long day that you end up and I, both of us had dozed on and off as, 
you know, time and contractions allowed. So I kind of, the order of things are kind of mixed up in my memory. But the the next thing I remember after that is Sherry getting the uh, stick in her, epidural. In her, in the epidural on mm-hmm. her back. Although I think it's actually a, is it an epidural or, a, or a, what was the other thing she called it? A spinal. A spinal block. It might have been a spinal block. Mm-hmm. Anyway, where they huge, like a huge needle right in your spinal column. And so did you watch that procedure? I did. Oh, I did, man. which I don't recommend. I do I do not recommend, ladies and gentlemen. Um normally the only time in my entire life where I've nearly fainted doing something was I was watching have you ever seen that movie 127 hours where the climber No, I haven't. Goes, it's where a climber gets his arm trapped in a rock fall and he ends up having to cut his own arm off in order to free himself. Nope. Great, great movie. Absolutely great movie. I think it's uh, is it James Franco that's in it? Great movie. Anyway. Um, I was in the cinema watching that and he starts chopping through his arm with a blunt pocket knife and he reaches his nerves and there's a very, very specific, and it makes me feel a little funny just talking about it. Oh no. There's a very specific noise that the soundtrack makes as he saws through the nerves of his arm. And I just felt blood rushing in my ears and my vision starting to go nowhere. I thought, Jesus Christ, I'm about to pass out from watching a movie. I thought, what a pussy, you know, like... (laughs) But then you felt that again, watching this big ass yeah, needle yeah. going into your wife's it, back. Like, it was weird. Like it was, <laughs> I, the anaesthetist had come in and he had this like, you know, uh, a trolley about oh, three feet tall by two foot long by one foot wide. So like, you know, something you could quite comfortably push with one person. And he just had all these drawers and he's going through all these drawers and he comes out with the biggest needle I have ever seen in my entire life. Like I could have fed a pipe cleaner up this thing. And he kind of like Sherry's kind of uh, head on my left shoulder, leaning forward to like kind of open up her uh, the discs in her back, and he goes in and he kind of disappears out of just out of sight. And the nurses have been like, "Don't look directly at it. It's not it's not good. We tend to find it's not good for the dads to look directly at it." And so of course, I, that's all you so, want to do. So I, I thought about it and I thought, well, it's probably better if I don't look right at it. So anyway, like so, he disappears with this huge needle, and. He comes back and he has blood all over his hands. And his his blood, like, and, and I'm kind of indicating from fingertips all the way to third knuckle on both mm. hands. And I thought, that's my wife's blood. And I had a nurse to my left and a nurse to my right. And one of them looked at me and he was like, he's going gray, catch him. And like rubber legs, I feel weird just even talking about it. Um yeah, rubber legs, had to sit down, breathe, and Sherry was a champ. She took the whole thing like a champ, but uh, she was more concerned about me than herself at the time, which is really stupid, like, looking back on it. But uh, anyway, so that that settled in. Um, contractions were really going by this point, and then things started to go wrong because every time she pushed, Riker's heart rate would take a dip, and... You know, I was said the nurses are completely professional. Everyone's going about doing their thing. Like everyone started to look a little nervous and it's like, they think that fathers don't notice, but we do. And eventually it got, by this point, this was by the, by the time the, the drugs had taken effect and she was pushing like that, we're talking about 6, 7 PM. And the guy who was going to be in charge, if things didn't go as they should have at this point, he comes in and he was like, if you're not better by nine o'clock, we'll have to do, we'll have to go to the next step. And I thought, oh my God, like, 
you go from by this point, like I like I say, we'd been here from nine o'clock in the morning. By this point, it's like six o'clock in the evening. You're approaching the twelve hour mark, and you know you like I think I'd maybe grabbed twenty minutes of a of a nap, and I think Sherry had slept for a little bit in between all this, and by this point you're just reeling, and it's like being in it's like being in a boxing ring, and someone's just coming along and smashing you in the face every so often, and to hear the surgeon say that, I thought, oh my god, like the am I going to lose both of them? And like the the bottom dropped out of my world. Like I, the thought of going through so much effort to move here, to find someone that I wanted to, like I was determined to spend the rest of my life with. And then the thought that I, she might not survive giving birth to my child, like, holy, like, like uh, it's not happening. It's not happening. Um, she'll survive it or everyone else is going to regret it sort of thing. Um, so I think by this point, they let things go on until about 9.30-ish, I think it was. And they came in and they were like, the, the doctor came in. I can never remember his name. I remember what his face looks like, but uh, I can't remember his name. But he'd come in and he was like, right, we're going to the OR. And it's kind of like, you know, the like I say, the IndyCar pit crew, a NASCAR pit crew. And like, I get dressed in scrubs. And they were like, uh, you have to empty your pockets. Uh, we might let you take your phone if you're, go- if you're going to be allowed in. And so they, f- they wheel her on the, I think it was on the same trolley all the way through to the OR, which it wasn't far. Like in Stormont Vale, everything's on the same floor. And it's completely isolated from the other floors as well, which is even better. So you don't get any, you know, randoms wandering through the wards. But they wheeled her into the OR and I had to sit outside. And there's one chair the size of the chairs we're sitting on right now. And that was in the in the entire corridor. There's two doors. So the door at the OR, the door we just came through, and that's it. And there's an emergency exit off to your left, and it is a bare corridor. All I can see from this single chair, where I've been left completely by myself, um, my wife is in some unknown state in the wall beyond me, and there's just these gauges of oxygen pressure, and, uh, you know, the other sort of things that are being supplied to the OR. And it's the only thing you have to look at. So you have to focus on that and try not to think about the rising panic. And you just end up, you're going in, your mind's going in circles and it's going at, you know, Mac 3. Like, I don't want to lose them. I don't want to lose them. I don't want to lose them. And there's people coming and going, coming and going. And everyone's walking past me. And I remember so clearly this large, stocky, stockily built Indian guy um, and I'm, you know, I mean, Indian as in continental Indian, not Native American. He comes in, he goes to go in the OR and he stops and he looks at me and he was like, you're the father, aren't you? And I, yeah. And I couldn't speak by this point. I, I, I don't know what was wrong with me, but he was like, she's going to be fine. We do this all the time. And it was such a relief. Like it was crazy because everyone's focused and I, I don't fault them at all. Everyone is entirely focused on mom and baby. And that's what's right. important. And I think that's the default. Yes. But to have a medical ha- professional yes. acknowledge. Yes. Like no one had thought to tell me. Yeah. No one had thought to tell me that she wasn't in any immediate danger. They were just like, well, we have this to get on with. And that's fine. I, I, I do. I don't, I don't begrudge on that at all. But it was a it was a real relief to have one of the people who were going to be in charge of the delivery tell me that she was going to be fine and it was like a re, it was like an injection of strength and what was going on in the OR as far as i know at this point is they were waiting for more drugs to take hold so that they could start carving her up which is 
Yeah, that hmm. very strange. But uh, one of the nurses popped her head out. She's like, Neil, you can come in now if you're ready. And I was like, yes, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they, they were like, okay. She brought me in and she actually guided me by the hand because I think mm, some people might have fallen over some of the equipment before. But she was like, I need you to walk in these areas only and you can't go anywhere else. And she was very clear about that. And she was like, we have a chair for you at the end where you can talk to Sherry. And so I came in, sat down, and there's obviously they've arranged this curtain so that you're not quite able to see what's going on. And out of the corner of my right eye, I could see Sherry's tummy. And it was Ooh. kind of this, it was just this little white um, mountain in the middle of a sea of blue of of the, uh, what would be the correct term for it? The, uh, the, uh, like surgical draping yeah, or... the, yeah the drapings that they put over them and it was weird it was like oh oh, what's that you know you, you kind of like the mind has a total disconnect over what it really is because the fact that your wife's head and shoulders and arms are above this separating curtain and there's this kind of this this thing over there can't see her feet or anything everything's completely obscured and it was like seeing her at 4 p.m. Like she was very, very frightened. She was very frightened. And to be able to be there for her while she was, I was like, I like, and it's, it's, it's upsetting just thinking about how I felt at the time, let alone how she must've been feeling. And I was like, I gotta be strong. I've got, I've got to make it through this so that she doesn't panic. Cause if I panic, she's going to panic. And I was like, calm, calm. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. And I was like, I'm right here. I'm right here. It's fine. Everything's fine. And, you know, we're in the best place possible. And, and so they were like, right, okay, we're going to, we're going to proceed. And I remember seeing a, just seeing a small glimpse after they'd started, you know, operating. And it was like someone had taken a, you know, like the bag, a loaf of bread comes in. Mm. Like if you imagine stuffing that with meat and then cutting a, a slice in it, that's what, that's kind of what it's like. It, it doesn't like, I, and I feel completely unemotional describing like, like that because it doesn't look like it's part of your wife's body. Mm. Um, and they were, they sort of beavered away for a little while. And then the way I understand it, the mechanics of it is they actually have to push on the top of the belly in order to p- push the baby out through the gap that they've cut open. And one of the doctors said she was, she was great. There was a, there was a, there was a female and a male and the lady goes to, she was like, okay, kiddo, there's going to be a lot of pressure here. And Sherry's face just like a quizzical kind of like, Ooh, what's that? And she was like, okay. Or it was, it was either okay. A bit more or a little longer or something, something like that. And the, the fella, the main surgeon, he was like, I remember it so clearly. He went, he's here, he's here. And they kind of just brought this miniature human who was, was the most surprised and shocked looking human I've ever seen in my life. He's just like, you know, the uh, in the Matrix where Neo goes, why do my eyes hurt? And, and uh, Morpheus goes, you've never used them before. And it was like that, like he's kind of like sitting, squinting, like looking like utterly shocked at where he is and like, what in hell's name is going on here? And he wasn't crying. He wasn't making a sound. So they let us look. And this all happened like in a split second. They let us look at him and they took him away to a warm table where they could like, you know, like vacuum out his uh, his mouth and his, and, and his throat and all the rest of it. 
and he didn't cry and he didn't cry and he didn't cry and he didn't cry and he didn't cry. And it's just, this takes forever. Like it's, it's an age. It was 25 seconds. And then he burst into, he burst crying and I allowed myself and I, you know, it's got to keep a lid on it because just thinking about it makes me emotional, but I allowed myself one second to get upset with relief that he was alive and Sherry was going to make it as well. And obviously I know there's a lot of recovery involved in all this. And, um, but that I still had both of them. Oh God. I still had both of them. And it was, if I could have jumped up and down, I would have, but there was so many sort of, she's hooked up to everything and there's, you know, there's wires going everywhere and all this sort of stuff. And they hadn't finished sewing her up either. So they were like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do all that. And, um, they were like, Neil, do you want to come over and cut the cord? And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So like, oh, I went over and I was like, I was talking to him and we got, I've got, I think we got a couple photographs of him and let's see, they took his, took his footprint and his handprint. And there was a couple of other things as well. And then, then we got, I got to hold him and Sherry got to hold him and what what's weird is that after that bit it's all kind of a blur after that like they weighed him and 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 all that all that sort of thing and then they took us to once sherry was all sewed up and i got to say thank you to everybody was they took us to post-op where they keep you for a while and there's a nurse right beside you like literally not even eight feet from the end of the bed and she's there the entire time and that's where you just get to you know relax the baby gets the latch on for the first time and, you know, I just kind of, you know, beaver about from one end, one side of the bed to the other. So if she needs anything and it's okay, you can sleep if you want to, or I can hold him or whatever. And after that, that was a, that was a weird couple hours as well, because you stay there for a while just to make sure that mom's blood pressure isn't going to do anything funny or the, the stitches are going to hold and, and all that sort of stuff. But after that, they take you to um, in Stormont Vale, they have like a, it's almost like a, it's like a hotel room where there's a double sized bed, which is not terrible. It's not the most comfortable thing in the world, but for the fact that I'd been up for, let's see, I got that morning. I was going to say, you guys had been yeah, up for a while. Yeah, we've been point. up for a while at this point. Like I am in summertime, not summertime, but like for the job that I do, I'm a mason by trade. So we have to get up when the going's good. So as soon as the weather improves in sort of March and April, we go for like 10 hour days. And it means being up at, I think I'd started work at like, oh, 5.45 or something that morning. So I'd been up, I'd been up since 4.30 or four o'clock or something absolutely bonkers like that. And by this point, by the time time we got into the room was two o'clock on the Tuesday morning. Because if I remember correctly, Riker was born at two minutes past midnight. Because like, which because we had a joke with the main surgeon because we were like, he was like, oh yeah, he'll be born on Monday. He'll be born on Monday. Yeah, yeah. No, it was Tuesday by two minutes. And we got into that room. Uh, Sherry held Riker for a bit. I held him for a bit. She dozed off. He went into the, um, I don't know, what do they call it? The, the nursery. Uh, the, no, no, just like the uh, the little uh, cart that they have beside oh, the bed. It's yeah. got a, mm-hmm. it's got you know comfortable comfortable blankets and mm-hmm. and all this sort of thing on. And I I remember Sherry has a great photograph. I fell asleep with Riker in my on my chest in my arms. It's a great photograph, and I slept like I died for just a little while, like deep dreamless. You know, like I was in a coma, 
and we kind of just we kind of like really slipped into a into a great routine after that it was and we we went the donor milk route as well which if that's a good idea as well if anyone's listening don't don't think about that as um like obviously i'm skipping ahead with this but the breastfeeding thing like um don't breastfeed shame people ever for any reason it's the babe what's the what's the main thing baby's fed that's it that's all that matters um and if someone is struggling reach out it is not worth it's not worth the emotional toll that it takes on you and it's not worth the potential health tolls that it takes on your bairn if the bear baby's not fed properly if you have to do formula you have to do donor milk it doesn't matter it doesn't all that matters is baby's fed that's it and so we like anyway back back to the this is bad for a tangent anyway um so we got into routine donor milk and sherry was attempting to breastfeed a little bit and you know nurses would come in every i think it was every hour to start with and then every couple of hours and then every four hours and i think if i remember correctly they try and keep you for two two nights so i think we were there for two nights and three days after the after the birth and they do this predominantly just to make sure that the scar has uh the the i shouldn't call incision. it a scar, the, the incision at that point it's not a scar at that point but that everything is holding and that mum is able to get up use the restroom and all the rest of it and we only had one scary moment where uh Riker had started to splutter on amniotic fluid and that was the first and only time with both boys that i had to press the emergency button um and the irony was, is that this was the only point where I could have walloped somebody was that, um, well, actually there was another point, but that's, I'll get to that. But this was the first point where I could have walloped somebody was the, we were told quite specifically that when you press that emergency button, a nurse comes immediately, no questions asked. I, you know, you pull the cord, I think you either press a button or pull a cord out of the wall or something like that. And I pulled the cord out of the wall and someone came over the intercom and I was like, what's the problem? And I was like, get your fucking arse in here now. And they ended up, he was fine. Like they just had to clear, clear his tubes a little bit, but, um, but yeah, like, Oh God, panic. And so, yeah, like, um, let's see, kind of floating about with, with it all at this point into routine, donor milk, sleep as best you can. Um, help my wife use the restroom, which is like, some people are funny about that sort of stuff. It's like, you made, you made a vow. If you're married, you've made a vow. Like, you know, for God's sake, you know, if you're not going to help your wife go to the bathroom, who, who is? is? Yeah. You know, stop being a fucking pussy and get on with it. Jesus. Like, oh, like I help my wife pull her, pull a diaper up. Like, and I do it again. I do it again with a smile on my face. You know, like, uh, I'm starting to lose my place. Routine. Uh, so what was it like when you guys left the hospital and you went home? <sighs> that was a tough one yeah we'd had Riker was a little premature which I probably should have mentioned earlier but he'd been having his bilirubin levels measured and they were like we're not so sure we're not very happy with how this is progressing because his the levels are not where we would like them to be they were like they are borderline they're borderline where we would normally keep them in um, if he'd been full term, it wouldn't have been an issue. He'd have likely been to the point where it wouldn't have been a problem, but they're like, he's bored, he's borderline at the moment. And we, we ended up, they cleared us to go home. They cleared Sherry to go home. 
we got home and the first feeling I remember so clearly we got uh we got into the house and the cats are we only had three cats at this point and the youngest one the white one uh was making a fuss of Sherry and the baby obviously because he's he's the littlest one so he was like oh mum's home mum's home oh there's a baby look at that oh it's so cute and we got a really good photograph of that but anyway um we're sitting Sherry is sitting in the glider in the nursery and I was sitting looking at them I thought god like I'd never my heart had never felt so full you know I felt it was it was accomplishment and it was joy and it was excitement and it was all these things all at the same time and then I had a moment where we both looked at each other and was like fuck what do we what do we do now you know because like you're at the point where normally when the little one needs fed you get on the intercom because this is what you've done for the last three days you get on the intercom can we have some donor milk please yeah the babies the babies need fed can we have some donor milk because um breastfeeding was an issue for sherry um throughout throughout the pregnancy which is obviously another issue that we can discuss later but um but you're very much aware of the fact that you are fucking on your own at that point and it's like the way someone described it to me is people who are less well equipped than you are have managed and they manage well so if they manage you can manage as long as you're sort of like realistic about what you want out of it but um we went back the following day to the uh, Stormont Vale has a breastfeeding clinic, which if if you have a little one, go to the breastfeeding clinic. It makes all the difference in the world. And at this point, they were still measuring bilirubin levels. And they were like, he's really, really, really not where he should be right now. We're really sorry, but we're going to have to take him in um, and give him some light therapy. And I was like, oh, come on. Like, come on, man. Um, because at this point, when Riker was born was 2020. So the uh, unknown virus of unspecified origin was still in massively in effect. And the way Stormont Vale was running it was that you had the patient and the patient was allowed one visitor. And that was it. Now, for the birth, that worked out really well because we'd made a decision that nobody was going to be allowed in because we just wanted to... We didn't want to put Sherry through that. We didn't want to put family through that. You know, like it was just like, just leave us alone. We'll get the birth done. And then everybody else will get to see the little one when we're ready. Only problem is, is that when the baby's taken in for light treatment, he's the patient and he's only allowed one visitor. So we ended up having to do something which we really shouldn't have done, but we did it anyway. The um, nurses let us in and I was like oh well I have all these fresh clothes and uh food and you know like the odds and ends for mom and baby and all the rest of it and I stayed in that fucking room for I think 10 and a half hours until one of the nurses like she was she leaned in and she was like look okay I know you need to be here but I can't let you stay any longer you have to go away and come back in the morning and I was like no one's gonna know and she went if I have, to, if I let you stay, I have to let everyone stay. I'm really, really sorry. And bless her, you know, like she was really good about it. Um, but I'd, I, you know, I basically snuck in and stayed in. And I ended up having to leave a postpartum wife who was struggling with a incision that was still healing and a 
you know, quote unquote sick child, or even though he he wasn't really, he just needed some assistance with uh with his bilirubin levels. I had to leave them alone overnight in a hospital. And she didn't really have a bed to sleep in. Like they've got those comfortable uh recliners, but it's not a bed. It's not a bed. And I think that was that was a that was another dreamless night. I went home, I fed the cats, I had something to eat, and I passed out. I got up as soon as I could in the morning and took a whole bunch of like clean clothes and all the rest of it and went in and they let us go home again the next day, which was really good. Um, Riker had like, you know, they, they have these little like foam, like the shields, foamy, <laughs> foamy uh, shields. They're not sunglasses, obviously they're just completely covered, but he had these like tan marks around, <laughs> around the, around his face where the shields had been sitting. And uh, yeah, they let us go home the following day and, Let's see. After that, it was kind of like, it was kind of like being married again. It was kind of like you get into this habit of like, oh, it's just brilliant. It's brilliant. Oh, no, it's not so brilliant. And then it's brilliant again. And let's see, we, what problems did we, did we have any massive problems with Riker after the Billy Rubin thing? No, I don't, I don't think we did. I think it was mostly just getting used to um, get or trying to get used to breastfeeding and formula and the first time we tried to give him uh, cereal, like powdered cereal in his milk, he gagged. So he, <laughs> he wasn't quite ready for that. But um, but yeah, that was, yeah, it's, a, it's very strange trying to recall everything that happened. I should have done, written more of this down. But um, that was the experience of going through the, uh, the birth itself. And the, the period, the very short period immediately following that, um, there was, there was one other point where I could have, I nearly, I very nearly lost my temper in the hospital was that I'd had to, I think it was while we were in the main post-birth room with the double bed, I'd had to go home and I think it was get clean clothes and, and like more food and all the rest of it, like. And I came back and Sherry's kind of all upset about something. I was like, are you, what's, what's wrong? What are you, what's the matter? And she was like, someone just came in and started touching the baby. And I was like, come again. And she was like, this, this woman came in and like dressed as a nurse and started touching the baby without asking me. And I was, I turned on my heel straight out that door and I went down to the nurse's station. I was like, who the fucking hell just went into that room and upset my wife? And they were like, oh, uh, 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 we, we don't know. And I was like, you find out who that was and you tell me, because I'm going to have a word with her. And funnily enough, that never happened. So I still don't know who that was. But that was the, that was the only other time. Like if I'd find out who that was, she'd have gotten a slap. And I was like, you don't, you don't, you don't do stuff like that. You don't go into a pregnant or a post-pregnancy woman's room and start touching a newborn baby without asking her. You just don't do it. And yeah, that was the only relatively negative experience we really had at the hospital. Other than that, it was all completely positive uh, or scary. But um, mixture of both. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was really the first one was really something like the. Yeah. So you're home and you're getting into the routine mm. of of life with a newborn. Did there ever come a point where you realized, or what I describe as the postpartum wow moment of everything just hits you at once and you realize this is my life now? Holy shit. You know, I've heard people describe it as like a, excuse me, as a 
It's like they have a small period where they lament their life as it was. Now, I know that's very common, but I didn't have that. I was... I think it was probably because that's probably down to the fact that uh, Sherry and I had very much laid out how things were going to be. You know, we'd, we knew each other. We lived in different countries. If we wanted to be together, we had to get married. If we were going to be married, we would see, you know, like live together for a couple of years and then we both wanted to have children. And it was kind of like everything kind of just progressed very naturally. So I never had a moment where I was like, oh God, this is my life now. It was like, this is my life now. Oh, Really? Like, and especially like, and I remember I caught it on, I caught a picture of it because 30 days after Riker was born, we had first photographs done with him, which is a very, very bizarre thing in America. Very bizarre. We have a couple of just the most amazing photos you could possibly imagine. Like there's one that cheers me up no matter what kind of a day I'm having. And it was at the point where Riker was tired. He'd had enough and he's, he's doing doing one of those uh belly ah i'm really unhappy and we have this big photograph up on the wall that is like framed <laughs> of him does, having his moment and it does it just it makes me laugh every time i look at it it's it's amazing but um anyway there was a it was the that day i caught on a cell phone a photograph it was the first time he smiled when he saw me and that was that was really something like it's it's like Again, just like words like magical just utterly fail. It's just completely, um, it sounds, it just sounds so lame trying to describe it. And, and it just doesn't even come close to it. And because, you know, there's a, li- there's a, a life form that you were, you know, responsible enough or irresponsible enough to bring into the world. And they're completely dependent upon you. And still, I was like, I, I, it's, it's. To the to my single friends in Scotland that I was badgering about getting married, a lot of them were like, "What's it feel like? What's it feel like?" And I said, "Imagine that your heart tunnels its way out of your chest, jumps onto the ground, grows arms and legs, and starts running around in front of you, and that's about as close as I can get to what it feels like." And it's the way the other way I've described it to people is that it's one thing to think that you'll take a bullet for somebody; it's another thing to know that you'll take a bullet for somebody. Um, and for me, I've had, I've been lucky enough to experience what that feels like three times in my life. Once when I got married, once when Riker was born and once when Eli was born and jumping ahead ever so slightly is that when I know when Eli was born, some people worry how they're going to love a second child. And it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And in the same way that you could tell somebody, oh, you'll just know when you meet the right person when you have another child, it's like all the love in your body comes together and just divides into three pieces. That's about as close as I can come mm. to describing it. You, you don't feel any less love, like you adore both of them or however many you have of them. They're, I suppose maybe it's slightly different when you get up past like four and, you know, it's like that's a brood more than a family. But um, but anyway, for, for at least for us in particular, I felt no loss of love for Riker when Eli came along. It was just like, oh, well, I just, I have, we have, you know, this is a bigger family. It's brilliant. And let's see, where was I? But you're home and you're home, you're getting into the routine. routine. Yep. You don't necessarily lament or grieve your, your previous absolutely. life. No, you're in a place not. where yes. you feel pretty good. Yes. How, what was going through your mind when you saw Sherry struggling mentally or you saw her through the pressures of postpartum? Yeah. Like what was going through your head during those, during that period of time? 
as a as the husband, you're kind of caught in a catch twenty two situation because you're trying to keep an eye out for unpleasant signs. And yet, at the same time, if you bring up the fact that there are unpleasant signs, it may cause an unpleasant sign. And I do not envy, like I know Sherry struggled. Sherry struggled with the, the postpartum depression. And I know that there are people who have a lot worse than we did. And people end up in way, way, way worse places. Um, it's It's not easy. It's not easy. I wish I, uh, this is one of those things where I wish I had nuggets of advice or something, but it's, you have to trust each other. You have to trust each other as far as this th- sort of thing is concerned. Like if a, if a husband brings up that he sees something that's not good, then the wife has to be willing to listen. And the at, at the same time, the husband has to be willing to do whatever is needed to support, which is an easy thing to say and another thing to do because sometimes the person that you're trying to protect your wife from is your wife. You know, if there's, if someone who's depressed and I've been in, I've, you know, I've known a few people like I have my mom, my mom suffers from depression and my brother had it as well for a, a period when he was a teenager. And I know he has his struggles as well, which is an, again, another story entirely, but I've known a few people that have struggled over the years and not many people want to be told that they're showing signs of things that are worse. And I, this is one of those things I really wish I had like, like a golden bullet or like a magic lever that you could pull and it would just all go away, but it doesn't really work like that. What was going through my mind? Try and do whatever I can. Try and do whatever's necessary regardless of what that might be. That was like, it's like the thing we were talking about when you're married, like you made a vow, like you have to commit, you have to commit to it. And yeah, it's like, because there's not just your wife, but there's a new life that depends on both of you and you both have to make it in order to keep that little one safe as well, as well as looking after one and one another, of course. But, um, that's a tough so in one. the throes yeah. of all of that. And so you're, you're more or less providing uh, just an extra strength for her. Trying to, yeah. And you've got her back, just reassuring her yeah. left and right that, hey, yeah. you're here for her. You encourage her and you encourage whatever she needs to do to get through it. Yeah. Was there ever a point that you were concerned for your own mental health? As terrible as it sounds, you take a back seat. It takes a back seat and... I think it's that's weird. natural, though. Yeah. I think it's totally natural yeah. to put your own concerns aside so you can be it's there w- for your weird. family. It's, it's weird, isn't it? Like you ask, you ask, you know, you ask your wife to put herself first when she's putting herself second for the child, and then you end up having to put yourself second for everybody else, or second or third for everyone else, while still trying to keep yourself on an even keel. And like I've said to many people since we've had children, is that we were really lucky. Like we were really lucky. I know Sherry had her issues with PPD, but um, I've, I'm not one that, like Sherry's forever telling me that I show certain signs of being an anxious person, but I'm lucky enough I've never had to be treated or anything like that. I've never, I've never had to the point where I've struggled myself. Um, how people manage to get through this when they are genuinely struggling, I will never know. Um, 
because post the postpartum stuff is rough. It's rough. Do you come second? Yes. Do you have to make your peace with that? Yes. Are you still going to have to put yourself in a hundred percent every day anyway? Yes. Do you have to, like, I suppose it would be, you have to try and make time for yourself to do little things. Like if you have to disconnect to do little things like uh, go to the gym or um, it's kind of difficult. I know that's kind of difficult when you're, you've got a little one in the house, but you have to try and carve out, even if it's five minutes for yourself to do something, read a book or maybe go for a walk or you have to do something to try and unplug just for a minute because it's a lot of, it's a lot of uh, weight to carry. Um, especially when, you know, like the, uh, if your wife's been unlucky enough to go through a cesarean, which uh, don't take a cesarean lightly, ladies and gentlemen. But yeah, you have to try and you have to try and take a break, even if it's just a little bit, because they need you. They need you. And you have to be able to you have to be able to commit to it. And there's no option about that. That's the that's the really scary part. Like I never lamented how my life moved on and how things changed from how it was before, but the bloody responsibility that you've taken on never leaves you ever. So I can see how it weighs heavily on people because it never goes away ever. And that's probably about the closest thing I've got to any form of lament. It's like, Oh, sh- Oh shit. Like this is where we are and we have to, we have to get through it and there's no second option. There's no plan B. Yeah, because I think that was probably the biggest struggle that I had, at least from the mom's perspective of realizing that, oh, there's no escape. uh, This is my life now. Yeah. And, you know, like it it depends. I think um, I remember Sherry had said that you and and Jacob had both experienced that feeling. Uh, Like I was lucky enough I never experienced that feeling because we this is where we, we knew we'd go this direction. And like that's something you'll definitely have to prepare for. Like the the idea that there's no there's no checking out. There's no oh let's just take a weekend off and and go and do something fun. It's like mm, I don't think so. No, this is this is the way things are. You know, you pick it up and bear it. And unfortunately that's that that is the advice as far as that's concerned. Like there is no like this is why like um uh at work we have Myself, my boss, and one of the other fellas are both old enough. Well, all three of us are old enough to have children. And one of the younger fellas, uh, his dad left him. He never met him. He doesn't know him. And I've I have said to the fellas that have kids on a couple of occasions, it's like fuck people that abandon their kids. Like I know people have their reasons, but like go and like try and look me in the face with a serious look in your eye and tell me that there was a good reason why you did that. Like, come on, like you don't get to check out or something like that. Like you'll ruin that child's life and you'll ruin your own. So it's like, uh, what does Jordan Peterson say? Pick up your damn suffering and bear it and try to be a good person and try and make the suffering in the, the world a bit less. And by turning up as a father every day or every minute of every day is the best way to try and start doing that. So yeah, like um, you have to be a rock. You have to be the the buoy in the storm that uh, the ship sees when it's coming towards harbor. Like there's no other option because if you're not going to do it, nobody else is going to do it. 
Like some people are lucky enough where, a, you know, a grandparent or somebody can step into that, but they shouldn't have to. They shouldn't because it's your job and you don't get to put this down. So anyway. So if you were to go back, been through, you've got two kids now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the postpartum experience for at least Sherry's perspective was a night and day difference with the second baby. Uh, was yeah. it any different for you when Eli came along? <sighs> About the closest difference I could say to when Eli came along was um, there's n- it, the time off that you had when the first one was born is at least cut in half with the second one. There is no time off. There's always, like they're both of them, he, Riker's almost three. So he's, you know, happy, jumping about, chatting, like he can actually communicate. And he's great. Three-year-olds are great fun. And Eli is now, let's see, he'll be almost 16 months so he's inter- fully interactive, up, walking, laughing, all this sort of thing. And it's way easier. It's way easier when they're this age. It's way easier. But um, when he was little, when, right, when Eli, just after Eli was born, the second one was born, and Riker's still really little. Because they like, were pretty close. Yeah, they're in nine, age. 19 months apart. Yeah. Um, I got it right, Sherry. 19 months. Um, so they're very close in age, but it meant that Riker was still really little when Eli was microscopic. So it means that he needs you and the little one needs mum and there's no time off. None. Like you had, you think you had no time off for the first one, there's even less time off for the second because they need you and they need you all the time. Um, was was the postpartum experience any different for me? Other than, other than that, no. I don't remember it. I, I, it's weird. Like Sherry's desperate to have a third one and she will, she goes, comes and goes, maybe it's with her monthly cycle. She comes and goes, <laughs> comes and she'll kill me for saying that, but she comes and I goes, in, uh, that, but, but she comes and goes in like, uh, uh, bursts of pestering me for a third one. And it's like, I don't fucking want a third one right now, right now. Like I am open to having a third one, but the first, let's see. Diana's, what did you say she was? 11 months? Yeah, she'll be yeah, a year 11 old months. in a couple of weeks. Yeah, mm-hmm. like before that first year's passed, like, let's work. Like having a baby that age is work. Past, their, past that point, they are, um, they're much more interactive and a lot more fun. But before that, they are completely dependent upon you 100% of the time. And it is work, work, work all the time. And you, like, you go back to that, like this is why they tell you to have kids so close together is because you never, you forget. Like uh, when we went to have a second one, Carrie, the girl did the photograph. She was like, "Have another one," because otherwise you'll re- re- be reminded what it's like to sleep all the way through the night. And I thought, Jesus Christ! But um, and she was right. She's right. She's absolutely right. And yeah, that's probably the biggest thing about it is any time that you had when the first one was born just fucking vanishes when the second one comes along. So if you could go back now that you've been through it with, with the two kids, if you could go back and give your pre-dad self any advice, what would that be? Are we talking about when I was, when I was already married? Yes. 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 So when like I was before al- you became a parent. When I was already married. Don't fucking listen to doctors. Don't. Like we, um, I mentioned health scares earlier. Like obviously we had the Billy Rubin incident with, uh, with Riker, which was scary enough. And then with Eli, Eli's health scare was, it turns out he's, uh, 
lactose intolerant and not just a little bit like he's really really lactose intolerant and the doctors are all like well well we'll just you know we'll keep an eye on what he's eating and all this sort of thing the whole time he's has he has diarrhea all the time and it's acidic enough where it's burning it's burning him so he's got the most horrendous diaper rash and we're like we're 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 alone in this we're alone in it and um we ended up I got to the point, like, I've, I am not, I might be an expressive person, but I'm not a violent person. And the third time I, and since uh, the boys were born, the third time I've come close to really whacking somebody was at the doctor's office where we told our GP, which is what you call them in the UK, your, uh, was it primary care physician here? Yeah, general physician, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the GP, we told him we had figured out what was wrong with Eli because we tried him on, uh, we I say we, Sherry figured it out. This is our chemistry background. But she had figured out that he is, uh, his poop was acidic, which meant that he was lactose intolerant. And so she tried him on all these different milks to see how, how it would affect him. And eventually she tried him on plant-based. Um, he had that, he was better almost immediately. And we went in, we were at, we were having him weighed because he was way, way, way down in uh, on the uh, chart of how he should be progressing. He was second percentile when he was going through the lactose intolerance. And they, uh, and this is what I mean about health scares, is they, they diagnosed as failure to thrive. And I which, was- That makes you feel like a fantastic yeah, which parent. Yeah, which means like a shithead, you know, like, because, oh, great, I'm fa- we're failing our child. And- he, he was like, okay, it's failure to thrive. And I was like, right, what do we do about it? Oh, we, well, we don't really do anything. And I, I, I was like, don't lose your temper, Neil. Don't, do not breathe, breathe. And by this point, like blood's rushing in my ears. And I thought, you fucking arsehole, you're going to call, you're going to tell us that. And then you're not going to give us a plan of how we're supposed to fix this. And we ended up, we investigated you know, found out lactose intolerance, started feeding him on this different diet and it cleared up almost immediately. He went from second percentile in weight to fifth in three weeks, which is, a, which is meteoric. It's a meteoric gain. And it's like, for like, I, it's hard because like you fault the, um, you fault the medical profession for things like that. And they're just trying to do their job. Like I know that's just why I didn't lose my temper. But, um, um, yeah, that was, that was Eli's health scare was the, if I, let's see, sorry, go off on tangent. What would I go back and tell myself? Don't listen to doctors. Um, if you are worried about something, do not brush it off. Don't brush it off ever. Because if you're worried about something, you're worried about it for a reason. Like you might be the person who's lucky enough to find something, uh, that will help. You might be. Like we were lucky enough. It was just, it was just diet related. I mean, obviously there are things that are a lot worse than that, but we were, like I say, like from the beginning, we were lucky with both of them, but let's see, what else would I tell them? I had to, I had to tell myself even. Oh, uh, I know. Let's see the, uh, what are they called? The, um, the rockers that's rock from side to side. They're, oh, the infant swings. Yes. Um, buy one of those. Like children, children, especially very young children, do not know how to sleep on their back, which is something that you're told to do from the very beginning. And it's fucking bullshit because what you actually have to do is train. You have to train an infant how to sleep on its back. And the Riker's first three months, 
that was the first time in my entire life that I'd ever discovered how little sleep I could function on. And the magic number is five hours, for at least it is for me. Um, of course, it, it required a double espresso in the morning to get back up to normal functioning levels. But by an infant swing, it lets them sleep almost sitting up. You know, and like, but they're cradled almost they, like yes. they were in the womb. Yeah, and they, and they can't roll over, which is the most important thing. And you can keep an eye on them and they can sleep and maybe you can sleep at the same time. It's one of those things like uh, you become very, very sensitive and a very, very, very light sleeper. And in the, in the fact that they're dozing off, they make the slightest noise. You're, you're awake. You're awake again. So yeah, buy an, get an infant swing or a rocker or something like that. Something that like uh, cradles cradles their sides and stops them rolling over because it will take a great deal of time for them to learn how to sleep on their back. Let's see. There's there was there was one other thing sleeping on their back. Um, oh, Sherry's going to kill me for forgetting it. There is something else. There was something else that was really important that you. Is, I think it's the breastfeeding thing. Um, where there's this whole breast is best thing. It's like, I will not take away from that message, but what I would really like to see, and we spoke about it a little bit before, is that a fed baby is best. And it's like, because especially like with the whole, like there's always, especially with things like surgery and uh, cesarean, cesareans in general, and, and, you know, the whole postpartum thing, like, and I think women who've had cesareans tend to suffer PPD worse than natural births these women are in a position where they feel terrible and they feel terrible almost all the time. And then some person, I was, I was going to say something really bad there, but a person comes along and says, are you not breastfeeding? Why are you not breastfeeding? You should be breastfeeding. It's like, that is, if not the worst thing, it's one of the worst things that you can say to a woman who's just given birth and is depressed because of it. It's like, you know, fuck you on the horse you rode in on. You've no business doing that to somebody who feels that way. And they, these are things that a father should know and, and and they're not told. You're not really told all these things, like the things that really matter. The shows always kind of stop after the birth. And it's like... That was my husband's biggest grief because he's just like, there was so much talk about, okay, we went to this birth class and this birth class on how to handle this and how to handle that just during the birth process or the, or the you know, the pregnancy right up until birth. Yeah. He kept wondering, where is the parenting class he felt like he'd like missed an episode of a tv show or something because he's like you now expect me to know all this stuff i don't know where i don't know where that's supposed to come from i don't because there's a whole lot of important stuff is left out like the whole idea of ppd you know it's real it's not to be dismissed and it is it can be can be in a very very small number of cases it can be extremely serious for mother and for the surrounding family. Like, I am i don't want to go into the details of that because, you know, if you don't want to sleep tonight, go and Google what can happen when it turns into psychosis. But um, nobody talks about this stuff. Well, we're talking about it right now, which will help. Um, and I think this is a really good idea, especially from a dad's perspective, is that we need to, we need to have these discussions about these things because people need to be armored against this thing. Or these things, because you might be unlucky enough where there are some, we know some people that have given birth and they haven't experienced any of this. And, you know, God love them for for managing to be lucky enough for that to happen. But the depression for a, especially like we were saying, especially a post-cesarean mother is very, very, very common. It's very common. And it 
if you don't know about it, it could be literally a bomb that will go off in your lap. For you know, like you don't want to be the father who's caught by surprise by this. You really don't. Um, so pay attention, read about it. You know, there's not that. I don't think there's that. There's a lot of resources when it comes to PPD that are mother focused and female focused. And is that a bad thing? No. No, because no, you know, but it's you know, like it. it, it I, I'm more meaning it is it a bad thing that there's nothing for the fathers to to reference. There should be, there should be things for fathers, and fathers should be willing to talk to one another about this sort of thing. And then you know, there's all sorts of reasons on, um, you know, the way that's done is that men relate to one another differently than women relate to one another, but especially it's like when um anyway i was going to go off on a tangent on another story but anyway the the point i was going to make is that sherry has a saying for things like this is it's about more than just you and you have to get you know used to that and ppd you know all the stuff that follow, follows after the birth it's about more than just you you know and i mean that from the father's perspective the mother's perspective and the whole family's perspective it's about more than just you it's like i remember um a friend of mine telling me about his uh his parents turned up at the hospital to see the baby and they they wouldn't have let them in and his mother threw a fit oh you can't keep me away from my granddaughter it's like shut the fuck up this is not about it's not about you it's about more than just you and yeah so that that's Let's see. So I'm trying to remember all the bullet points of things that I've would tell myself. It's a don't listen to doctors. Don't follow stupid rules. Do your own research. Listen to your wife after she gives birth. Very, very, very important. And try and find out about these things like postpartum depression. It's not a joke and it can be extremely serious. Sorry, that's 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 probably enough doom and gloom. Try and think about positive stuff. It will change your life for the better. I can guarantee it. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like having children. Um, the only thing that makes me slightly reticent, Sherry's going to kill me for the saying this as well. The only thing that makes me slightly reticent is that about having a third one is that the first year's rough. The first year is rough. It and is I, rough. I had a mom recently ask me, it's like, okay, you've, you're approaching the year end. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Because the one phrase we hated, absolutely hated, from everybody was that oh it gets better it gets, it gets better. better and you're, you're in the throes of what feels like a nightmare and yeah. that is does very little it does it says it's fucking bullshit but and the, so, the, the but problem yeah. oh yeah and i will tell it like speaking about something like that is that the worst part is is that they're right they it are w- right it will get better you just can't hear it at you the time can't hear it at the, you're not ready it's like the uh the whole when the when the pupil is ready the master appears this is the same thing like you're not ready to hear it but it's true you just have to weather that particular storm and this leads into the other thing that i would tell myself and my wife and any other parent who's in this period coming up to it is if someone offers you help take it take it you know like it's not the worst thing in the world if someone offers to babysit or make a meal or you know let you guys have an hour off or something like that if someone offers help take it it's not a slight you know, they're just trying to, he- they're usually just trying to help. Um, and that's a good thing. You know, be glad of your uh, support network. 
like that that was that was one thing that I didn't I didn't I didn't really cover when we were talking about moving over because I said that like I said that's a whole podcast just by itself but I was blessed by the fact that Sherry's family accepted me from the moment I got here we weren't even married yet and I'd been accepted as part of their family like how how people can go through uh, having children with no support network just blows my mind you need a you need a support network of some kind Otherwise, you're, you're going to have a rough time, like a really rough time. So you would agree with this, with the saying that it takes a village Absolutely. to raise a child? Absolutely. Um, and on many, on many levels, as far as that's concerned, is that, uh, and this goes into some of the things that I believe when it comes to children, is that you have to be willing to discipline a child. Like, say no. So you talked about the bullet points for the advice that you yes. give your, your pre-dead self. Yes. Uh, so let's see. Let's see. A quick recap. Don't listen to doctors. Or if you are, if you do listen to doctors, do your own research as well. They're not, they're human. They're in, they're not infallible. Don't follow stupid rules. Uh, or take help when it's offered. Um, there was one, there was another really big one. Listen to your wife. Listen to your wife. Holy shit. Yes. How'd I forget that? Uh, you know, listen, listen to your wife. Listen to, if you have a little voice inside you that's telling you that something's wrong, listen to that. Like if, if your wife is struggling and like the both of you are so consumed with what you're doing, looking after the little one and trying to make sure that lights stay on in the house by going to work and trying to make sure everyone's fed and has the baby pooped itself again? Or is he, is, is he okay? Does he need to sleep? Does he need to be fed? It's like, it's, 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 it's constant. It's bang, 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 bang. It never stops. It's like, but if you have a little voice in you that something's wrong, and you need to pay attention to this. Listen to it. Listen to it. Yes. So. And going back to to what you were saying about how it seems like there's a plethora of resources for the moms yes. or for postpartum depression, anxiety. But I think one of the biggest griefs that my own husband ran into was that when when he started showing symptoms and he started looking into his own research of like trying to figure out, you know, what the hell is this? Very, very little and the she came up for yeah, him. The, and the depressing thing as well is that the like talking about things for me, men's perspective, quote unquote men's perspective, like there's when it comes to men and mental health issues, the resources are not great at the best of times. And you're talking about one percent of one percent when it comes to men showing PPD symptoms. Like it's a lot of people don't treat it as if it's a real thing. You know, and I don't just mean other men treat as it as it's not a real thing. Other women will do it as well. And it is not a failure. You are not failing as a parent. It's very important that you hear that. You know, having PPD does not mean you're a bad parent in any way, shape or form. Like this is part of your biology. Like you can't fight your own biology any more than you can, you know, like women can stop from wanting to have children. Like it's... You're spiting what, like human beings have walked upright for what, was it about six million years now? You really think you can battle against that kind of programming? Come on. Like, and, but, it, but, but going, going back to, it's not a failure. You're not a bad parent. Like being a bad parent is, that would take work. It would take work. You'd have to be a shithead of, of biblical proportions in order to be a bad parent. So you're doing a good job. 
in the device and thankfully oh yes I, I we, feel were like ta- the... we were talking about like uh, things that are available for, yes, uh, for dads. yes it's poor it's really it's bad poor. yes it is it's getting um, better i feel like yes. especially just in the past like five six years or so yes. um postpartum international or postpartum support international i referenced them quite a bit now has a page solely dedicated to dads and dads and like the non-birth giving parent so like if if there's a, a grandparent or another relative or even a friend who is also serving as a caregiver for a newborn, there's resources for yeah. them now. And the more, the more people that keep an eye out, the better. Um, like I say about the village, it takes a village to raise a child, you know, it's, um, and it's, it's, it's hard work. Everybody needs to be switched on and especially keeping an eye on uh, PPD symptoms. It's, that's very, very, very much. It's a lot easier now as well. Sort of, you know, things with podcasts, the internet makes things. Excuse yeah, the, me. The, the internet uh, the is in, kind of the, a, it's a blessing and a yeah, curse exactly. at the same time. Is <laughs> Pros that and cons. The, you know, like you can go, you can go on the internet with a sore toe and become convinced that you have brain cancer. You know, like it's there needs to be, but a definitely focusing of traffic when it comes to these problems, it's like, it would be nice if everybody could go and, oh, actually, that, that's how I feel. It's completely normal. Oh, wonderful. I'm not a bad father. Wonderful. Um, oh, look, look at this checklist. Oh, my wife's showing, say there's five points of PPD or six points. Or her, I, I can't remember how many there is actually. The there's last several time, now. At, but the, yeah. at the last time I looked at one. And, and you know, if you look at that and so, the person you love is demonstrating most of these, it's like, it's it's okay. It's okay. There are resources. There's there's a doctor to go and see, you know, like just don't ignore it. It won't go away. It won't go away by itself. Even if it just even if it's just something as simple as to sitting down and discussing it with your significant other, that might be enough. But sometimes sometimes people will minimize how they are feeling themselves because they feel like especially when it comes to uh, mothers and babies is that mo- mothers minimize how they feel because they think the baby's more important. It's like a dad's not going to cope by himself. Like, yeah, are there single fathers that manage? Yes, of course. But why, why allow, why allow the person you love to take themselves out of that equation? It just, it's bonkers. It's bonkers. It's like, don't, if you're that, if, don't be afraid of offending somebody by bringing something up. It has to be talked about. Yes. So this is all dreadfully serious, isn't it? It like, is, but it it's it's lighthearted in the fact of knowing that every parent's experience is going to be different, yes, whether it's good or bad. Absolutely, but yeah. understanding that there for as bad as you feel and for those moments that you feel like you are scum and the lowest person on the planet because yeah. you feel like a terrible parent, it's been done before. Yeah. And like we were saying earlier, like people who have had less resources, less backup, less of a support structure, and less, if dare I say, intelligence than us have managed. And their kids have come out, you know, well-fed, educated, and capable of going on to have kids themselves. It's like other people, everyone struggles. It's just matters. It's a matter of how much, you know, and it's always going to be hard to just how much you can cope with is going to change over to, especially you find that out when you have another one. When you have more than one. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that's, it's, it, yes, it's hard. No, it's not easy. 
It'll, it'll get better. Holy shit. Yeah, it's so it's such a bad saying. It isn't is it? such a bad. I wish there was another way to phrase it to where, but there really isn't. No, I mean, there really isn't. If you think um, about it, I wish if I had a if I had a magic wand. I wish that there was a way when someone was having a really rough moment, just give them a peek into the future. You know, when that baby who's three months old and is screeching colicky, even worse, like um, who's colicky and won't feed, won't settle, won't sleep. And you're starting to wonder that you're losing your grip on reality because you're not sleeping, you're not eating. It's, it's I can give you a glimpse into the world when that kid is, you know, two and a half, three, when they're smiling they're fun you know they're running about they're always happy to see you it's like that's that's what people need they need to see what it's going to be like it's like it's okay it's good we're gonna make it you know we're all gonna make it in the end and you just have to you know like be the ship that's weathering the storm so if if you're reaching if you have reached the point where you feel like like if you're lamenting the life that you had beforehand talk to somebody even if it's just a best friend, like you and Sherry, I knew relied on each other a lot. Um, when both, both of our, you know, family's kids were born and sometimes that's enough. Yeah. If you, it, it's one of those things that like, yes, it'll get better, but don't minimize how you're feeling. Like you feel these feelings and you feel this way for a reason. It's like, don't blow it off. It's like the, the whole, like if you fall over and hurt yourself, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't just put a bandaid over a squirting arterial bleed. That would be that would be madness. You know, like this is and this is the thing about um physical injuries is that we are it's like it's like when uh, you're driving your car and the exhaust drops off and it's all of a sudden it's you know that you're driving along and the car's 130 decibels. You can't ignore that. But bald tires you can ignore. Or a tiny little top end rattle, you can ignore it. You can just turn the stereo up and, you know, like drown it out. And this is the same thing. Like physical injuries are really easy to, oh shit, no, go, I better get that dealt with. The mental health is just as important. It really is. You can't ignore these things. They will get worse if you try and, um, like I know with women, it's minimizing. Women are really, and I know I'm generalizing a lot, and I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm generalizing a lot, but you guys are really bad at minimizing how you feel. You shouldn't, you should, or you should try not to do that because especially when it's like we were saying earlier, it's like when you put you put yourself into a marriage or even more so into a family, it's not just about you, you know, and your husband's going to need you because the chances he'd be able to look after, if you can't, if the both of you together can't look after the little one or are struggling to look after the little one, he sure as fuck isn't going to be able to do it by himself. You know, you're, every human being is important. Every human being is precious and you have to start behaving like that's true. You have to start behaving like you believe that, you know, and a lot of people don't. And like, I remember I was reading a thing a couple of years ago where the um, psychologist was talking about how when they actually studied people who have pets, when the pets are ill and they give these people medications to give to their pet, they will look after their pet and they will give the pet all the meds all the way to the end and make sure every time that that pet takes those medications, they do not do that for themselves. They almost never do it for themselves. So the, um, the saying was, is that treat yourself as if you are someone you've been tasked with looking after and everything will improve after that. So, yeah. 
Well, it was great talking with you, Neil, today. Mm. Thanks a lot for uh, sharing your story. And, and all, for, the ta- all the tangents. Yeah, yeah. No, hey, the tangents are what make it real, right. you know, because we're real people. We're human. Yeah. We go on tangents. That's how our brains are wired. And I think that's that's helpful to a lot of a lot of parents to know that, hey, it's just it's, it's just the way it is. It's, it's not. A, yeah. it, that doesn't make you a freak. It doesn't make you a lunatic. <laughs> and you might feel like it is, but um, just know that uh, even though you're, you may be in the throes of something that feels completely inhuman, it is. It yeah. is normal. It's normal. It. It's going to. It's I going, hate it, it's, but it's going, it's going to, to get, get better. better. <laughs> yeah, it's going to get better. It's going to come to an end. And talk to other people that are parents around you. You know, like, um, yes, everyone's different. And you may, you know, rely on your, uh, I know it sounds like I'm, you know, we're going over uh, already tilled ground, but it's rely on your support structure. Yeah, it's really important. Very good. Well, thanks again, Neil. And thanks thanks again for everybody tuning in. Like I said, I'll put in the show notes a couple of links. Um, The big one being Postpartum Support International. Please give them a look or uh, check them out because, like I said, they do have a page specifically dedicated to dads and other caregivers. So uh, the resources are there. Please reach out. Do not be afraid. Um, And thanks again for listening. So tune in uh, shortly because we've got some more uh, really neat interviews coming up uh, for you parents out there. So thanks again for listening and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Postpartum Wow. If you like what you heard and you'd like to support this podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe and follow me on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow me on my Facebook page at The Postpartum Wow. This way you'll be notified when new episodes are dropped every other Tuesday. Feel free to also leave a review sharing what you liked best, and this will help other listeners know what to expect when checking out this podcast. Until next time, friends, may your messy buns be on point and your coffee stay warm.